Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Do you feel stuck, overworked, and underutilized in your career or life? Do you realize that your life needs to change, but you're not sure how? At some point in our lives, most of us have felt this way and arrived at this level of frustration. Dr. Benjamin Ritter was no different. Feeling incredibly reactive when it came to how he was running his life, he reached a point where the pain threshold was great enough to force him to take action. During our conversation, Ben talks about the three C's of self-leadership, clarity, control, and confidence a process that can help guide you through difficult periods in your life. We talked in great detail about how to deconstruct limiting beliefs, a topic that has become a cornerstone of guests on this show. A growth-focused mindset will help to lead to happiness, which can lead to success in both your career and life. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Benjamin Ritter. So Dr. Benjamin Ritter, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. I've, I've been looking forward to this conversation um, ever since I've, I was referred to you by Meg Wagner, who was a previous guest. And I guess let me ask you that. How do you and Meg know each other? Also through a mutual connection. I think it's when you find people that are doing good things to the world and, and giving, they tend to refer each other around. It's, it's kind of neat to see. Yeah, it's been one of the really interesting um, takeaways from this first year of doing the podcast is the amount of new people I've met through you know having you know guests on, and uh, usually you know when I when I hit the record button and we're having a conversation off off air, if you will, you know a lot of people will tell me, hey, you need to get, get this person on to talk about this or that person on to talk about that. So it's been really interesting how you know, my network has kind of grown and developed. Um, but in doing some research on your background, what I found was extremely interesting on your website, you lay out like your complete story. And I think that's the part that that's where I want to start first and talk about, um, get into what you do um, in your coaching business, but really start talking about like your background and your story, because I think that's going to really relate to a lot of um my audience around, you know, making decisions with career and figuring out where you want to go and that makes, and not necessarily being at the right place at the right time. And so I thought that we would share, you start by you sharing your story on how you got to where you're at today. Yeah, there are a bunch of milestones and I'm happy to go back in time even further, but I think what's most important is to, to start when I was in healthcare. I was working as a healthcare executive and I was promoted from a position that I thought was pretty impactful and quality improvement where I was helping patients achieve better clinical outcomes. 
was promoted into this kind of leadership position, this executive level role. And I kind of lost perspective in terms of what I felt was meaningful from work. And the my, my levels of job satisfaction just dropped dramatically. I stopped volunteering for work. I kind of put in just enough effort so that people still thought I was productive and, and doing a good job, even though I wasn't giving them probably more than 10% of what I could actually give. I would leave for an hour and a half to two to three hours during the day to walk around the block, to go to the gym. I wouldn't invest in any social relationships. I was just pretty checked out. And that tended to also leak into my personal life. So my relationships got all that negativity. They got that resentment towards my employer. Like it's very hard to keep those feelings siloed. And then luckily I kind of woke up one day. I had this little come to moment when I was walking into work and I looked around. It just seemed like everyone was feeling the exact same way. And, you know, further back, right? If again to my time machine, go back in time, personal and professional development was something really important to me. So at that time, I was actually coaching, but more like in the, the dating and relationship and life realm. And it never really hit me until that point that everything that I thought about you know, growth mindset, the fact that we're in control of our life, the fact that if there's something we want to change, we need to change it. For some reason, that never really hit me in terms of my career. Up to that point, I was incredibly reactive to opportunities that came up. And I think I could, you know, I could share with you the reasons for that. Like, for example, I wanted to be a pro soccer player. So I, I never actually bought into the nine to five work life and that didn't work out. And so when that didn't work out, I didn't know really who I was professionally, didn't really have any goals professionally. And then I had a dad that was an entrepreneur. And so I kind of looked at, look at work as just very different than just, I'm going to sit behind a desk and this is what I want to pursue. And then out of grad school, I had four job offers that all got canceled because of the recession at the time over a two and a half year period. And so there was like a lot of setbacks, I think, that made me believe that I had to be reactive into, in, in work, into my career, a lot of disappointments. And if we look at our life and where we're not taking action, a lot of times it's because we've been trained not to take action. And so in that moment, I woke up and I asked myself the questions I should have been asking myself my entire career. I think the questions that I asked myself in the beginning, right when I'm a kid and people are like, what do you want to do? And it's like, I want to be an astronaut. It's like, why do you want to be an astronaut? Because I love space. And it's like, you, you answer these questions with a very different mentality. And so like, you know, that led me to really do this hard audit of where are my strengths? What challenges do I want to face? Who have I enjoyed working with? Who do I want to work with in the future? What potential jobs might I want moving forward in the next year, two years, five years? And at the time too, I was operating a side hustle. I was working as a coach, as I mentioned, and I was, it was not aligned with me at all. I was doing it because I felt like initially there was some meaning there, but there wasn't I wasn't actually serving the people that I wanted to serve. And so that's when I really made some hard decisions, crafted my current job, and also looked to other opportunities to start building Live For Yourself Consulting. Now, the journey from there is also a story, but I'll pause for a second because I think that was one of the most pivotal moments to led me to, that led me to where I am today. So let, let me kind of unpack that a little bit because one of the things that, and what I do with working with people from a financial perspective is a lot of people have this stereotype of what a financial advisor is, and it's all about numbers and dollars and cents and a plan. But it's really, at least from my perspective, what I do working with families, it's a lot more than that. And I work currently with you know, one family in particular that is really struggling with their um, career right now. And you know, it, it, what, I, what I am trying to help them with is getting to their 
I keep referring to it as like, like a tipping point moment, if you will, where they know they have some idea of what they need to do, but they're not taking that next step or, or action to do it. Can you kind of give us some guidance or talk about your, your moment where you said, okay, I can't do this anymore. I have to do something else. Like how does a person finally reach that point? Because like in having many conversations with, with this person and with his family, it, it's not, it's something that they have to find on their own. It's not something that can be, I can, you know, push them towards, if you will. By the time people come to, to work with me, right there at the point where they want to take action. You know, it's just, I had a recent client had the same job for 18 years. Within four phone calls, he ended up with this dream job. And you know, we did a lot of work in terms of gaining clarity in terms of what he wanted to pursue and what his brand, what he wanted his brand to be. But then he took a little bit of action and he was able to make something happen for himself. So what's going through my clients' minds before they reach out to me or right when they reach out to me for that sales call to see if they want to come on as a client? Well, they, they feel like they could do more. So they, they actually feel like there's a, like something missing from their current job, either from a meaning perspective, from a challenge perspective and skills, uh, from a relationship perspective, or maybe they're trying to run away from a specific leader. So there's a manager or a director that they work for where it's just completely, it's a horrible environment. They've had enough, or maybe they have a, a negative culture that they just want to get away from, from other workers that they're part of. Or maybe they just have different career goals they want to reach and try, try to strive for. So the, that need has to be strong enough because there's more than enough people out there in the world that are working in a job that they, it's comfortable enough. And that comfortable enough is more important than the other factors. So it's, so it's like, what actually will motivate someone to take action? Well, it's that the pain is greater than the, the pleasure of where they're currently at. And that can be different for a lot of people because some people have a pretty high pain tolerance when it comes to their career. Now, I'd say that some people tend to make mistakes too quickly in terms of career development where, okay, I find this new job for six months. It's good enough because it's novel. I'm learning new things. I'm meeting new people. It's all, you know, it's when, when things are novel, we were able to kind of deal with things that we're not too happy with. But then we wait another six months and then we start nitpicking and seeing things that we don't like because we think our organization is supposed to make us happy. So then we spend the next six months to a year trying to find something else. And if we find something, we move on. If not, we get disengaged and don't actually invest in the work and our day-to-day work life is pretty miserable. So I'd say that's even a bigger problem and bigger issue than what to do in that situation than the people that are actually okay with things not being okay, if that makes sense. Like, I'm not here to tell you that you should be fulfilled, should be more satisfied, or you should have great social relationships at work. I'm here to say, if that's what you want, then why don't we figure out how to make that happen for you? So that's, I think, the, and it, it kind of applies to, you know, getting, getting people onto the right financial plan is that I tell people often, like, what I do is not rocket science, but, you know, it's being there to help guide. I mean, that's how I see myself as a guide. And maybe you see yourself as a, maybe similar role in, as a, in, in your coaching profession is to help get out of somebody where they want to go and then help them design a plan to, to get there. And with me, it's, it's 
numbers and in, in, in dollars, if you will, but it actually goes well beyond that. And I think when, when I see somebody struggling with their career, obviously it's going to have a negative impact, you know, th- throughout, you know, their, their personal life, both financially and personally, because you're not, you're just not making, you know, probably great decisions. And so what I've, what I still often struggle with is getting people to that point of taking action where that pain is greater than that. Yeah. So real quick. So most of my clients are pretty well financially off. You know, they're, they're, they've reached a certain pinnacle of professional success where they're directors and above executive CEOs. But so I mentor a lot for like young entrepreneurs or, you know, people just right out of college and, people that are looking for leadership development or career development advice. And this just the other day, I was working with a mentee who was struggling to get her business off the ground. And there's, you know, there are processes and issues and stuff there that we needed to work out. But more importantly, her huge, like the, the greatest source of stress in her life was her finances. She couldn't make enough money from her current business. And so she was working this part-time job. She was making like $15 an hour and as she couldn't make she couldn't make things work and she because of that stress she couldn't think innovative she couldn't be innovative she couldn't be creative and i i paused for a second i said how much time are you spending on your business how much time are you spending at this part-time job you could triple your income easy by getting a full-time job and you'd also have benefits and you could still actually invest the same amount of hours into your business that you would be right now currently with how you're currently distributing your your efforts and I had this the same conversation with a different entrepreneur not too long ago. I think we we tend to have these constructs of like where money can come from and either from, you know, or how much we should earn. And I'd say like, if you have financial worries and concerns right now, I think the number one question other than where are you spending your money and how are you managing your money is, are you earning as much money as you can? And so when it comes to career development, like you could have the same job at a different company and make triple, right? Or at least double. It's like, it's pretty hands down the fact that certain industries pay uh, different rates. And I'd say like, look, if, if right now you don't feel safe because of money, then that's going to impact how you show up to work. Go get a job, make a bunch of money, save it and get a little bit of a cushion. Yeah, that's, that's actually very uh, clear and straightforward advice for sure. So let's kind of pivot back and talk a little bit more about your your business, your role um, as a coach. I know that you mentioned that you um, initially started um, as a coach in your journey and then maybe walked away from it and then came back. So talk to us a little bit about what your coaching live for yourself is about. Yeah. My, so my coaching journey, I've been in a few different industries I serendipitously got asked in a bar if I wanted to meet someone's boss who ended up hiring me to become a, a nationwide dating and relationship and life coach. This is back in 2010, maybe. And uh, before that, I was managing, well, during you know, a little bit before that, I was managing a student employment office as kind of a career development coach for the University of Illinois at Chicago. I ended up applying for and receiving six months of, of federal funded uh, life coaching, which is pretty cool. I was selected for 16 months of leadership training through a different organization. And so I received that. Uh, but professionally, uh, you know, live for yourself consulting came from that pivotal moment where I was like, I, I really need to ask myself where I want to work. 
And initially I went to my boss and said, look, I love talent development. I love coaching. I want to merge these two fields. I think we have a leadership issue here. I'd like to do this work. And, you know, it might shock some people when you ask your boss for something or leader for something in a certain type of work, you get to do some of it. So I got to do some of that work until we got acquired and everyone I was working with got fired and every project I was working for got centralized. So it was kind of a dead end at my current place of employment. And so I had to figure out where I wanted to go next. And, you know, I had a couple different options of finding another job in the space or pivoting my company at the time and building credibility and becoming a thought leader, which I did as well as going back to get my doctorate to make it happen even quicker. And so I wasn't really sure where I wanted to live for yourself consulting to go. I knew that I was kind of a values geek. And so I started creating values-based workshops. I started working with individuals more in life situations. Uh, and then through my research and my doctoral program that was on leadership development and job satisfaction and motivation is where I found my passion for leadership and career development. And that's where I really doubled down with Live For Yourself Consulting and really put out the message that you know the most important leader is the one that's within you. And you can create a career uh, that, that everyone deserves to create a career that they can love. Initially, that started, by the way, as craft a job you love from a job you have. I know I'm a sole believer that you shouldn't run away from a place just because you're not happy there. You should try to initially mold and fix it. That's probably the path of least resistance. And one of the ways to do that is through you know, managing up and managing down and just becoming a, and evolving into a better leader. Now, the other option, right, is to get a job somewhere else, which I've also was able to solidify and become an expert in. Uh, but my business initially started uh, event-based. So I built my community off of ho hosting in-person events. And uh, that transitioned pretty quickly when the global pandemic happened to virtual events and LinkedIn. And so at this point in time, I mostly just work with referrals and people that find me through a, through a simple search. Um, and I continuously post content through podcasts, through YouTube channels, through appearing on podcasts like this and really help others develop a career uh, and a life that they can love. So let me, let me take you back because I wanted to ask this question too, is when, when you talk about dating relationship coaching, like what exactly was that? <laughs> like, were you like, you weren't like matchmaker, Dr. Ritter, right? <laughs> Uh, well, so it's, it's or maybe you were. I think, well, I think what's kind of in incredible is that a lot of coaches right now, like if you get an executive coach, they're you know they're twenty years retired. They used to be an executive, um, or uh, maybe if you get a career coach, there's someone that uh, maybe hasn't had a lot of different careers. And so, if you look at my background, you know, not only have I been an executive and I've worked with a variety of leaders, but I've coached in almost every avenue of life possible. And I've worked so many odd jobs from getting plaster report on me to be a mannequin in a museum to working commercials and music festivals and brand promotions and bartending and uh, that, you know, in healthcare and public health and camp as camp counselor and fast food. Like I've, I've kind of done it all where my, my perspective on coaching and development is, is rather diverse and broad. And yes, you don't need someone to have lived it, to know it, to be able to teach it, but it does really help in terms of having a person understand multiple perspectives. So when I was a dating coach, uh, I actually, at that time, you know, I, I was very into personal development. And so I kind of dove into the field of dating relationships, uh, social persuasion for many, many years, just trying to develop my own confidence and to develop my own persona and who I wanted to be in the world. And when I study something, right, I go practice it. And so I went out by myself a lot and met people and had conversations and uncomfortable situations, just kind of pressing, pressing myself to grow. And a guy stopped me and he said, look, we, 
you know, I see, I see what you're doing. Meet, meet my boss. I met his boss the next day and he hired me. And I, I literally went around the U.S. teaching individuals how to be social. Uh, so that involved just having, you know, random conversations with someone on a sidewalk. It, it involved how to manage social situations in their own life and relationship situations. Um, and that those same strategies, by the way, work within the work environment in terms of how to manage and negotiate conflict, how to build trust and engagement with your coworkers. So I think those experiences, even though they weren't aligned with what I wanted to do in my life long-term, were important for my own development as well as I think for my understanding and knowledge today. So when when it comes to the, I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into um, your con- coaching consulting business is this live system that you've developed. Can you Take us a little bit deeper into what that is, how you went about developing it. In developing the frameworks and the business itself? Yes. Yeah. So the framework, well, Live for Yourself Consulting initially was the Live framework. And I developed that on a paper napkin on an airplane going down to uh, one of my courses when I was in my, my doctoral program. And it stands for Life, Intentions, Values, Expectations. And I, I basically sat there and I asked myself, what's the most important things about making decisions? And how can you make decisions that are fulfilling? And I said, well, you need goals. You need to have clarity of, of what you're trying to achieve. You need to have the attitudes and beliefs that align with those goals. And you need to have meaning behind them. So they need to align with your values. And then you need to have proper expectations for what you're going to achieve with those, with those decisions, as well as for the people in your life that are going to support them. And so that's what I initially started with. And then as I was working with clients, I realized that some were more successful than others. So you had an easier time of making decisions. And I started evaluating those clients as well as reading new research in the space and found that, well, you know, individuals that have three main traits, the three C's of self-leadership, tend to be more, more likely to be able to make these decisions. And so at the foundation of decision-making is clarity, confidence, and control. So you have clarity of what you want to achieve and you understand the reasons behind what you want to achieve. So those are the values again, which then builds confidence. So when you have that, that builds itself into your professional and personal brand, which helps you feel comfortable going out there and living those values and those goals and trying to achieve them. And then also you have to build actually just hard skills. So if you want to you know, become an executive, what is an, ex- what is an executive need to know, especially in what field? And so once you do that, you then have control. You can actually start making uh, decisions that tend to, you know, align with where you want to go in your life, and, al- and also that allows you then to know who to reach out to and who to build around you in terms of community. So those those are kind of why the frameworks are what they are, and those mainly developed from experiences and then research in space. So how do you go about when when somebody comes and and knocks on your door and and wants to learn more about working with you. Can you walk us through what it's like working with somebody like yourself, like a, a, a coach? Cause I don't, you know, going back in my corporate career, you know, it would have been great to work with somebody like you. And I've had some other coaches on the show as well. Um, but it's, it wasn't something that was necessarily uh, maybe popular, but you know, I'm a big sports fan. So I think of, in terms of sports, like you always had a coach, but when it came, when it came to your career, you know, you didn't have one. And, you know, I think of the benefits that, that more people could be getting through their career 
and helping, you know, maybe shuffle through some of these ideas of what I should be doing versus what I shouldn't be doing. So kind of walk us through like what it's like working with somebody like you as a coach. Yeah, I think it's kind of unfair, by the way, that superstar athletes can, you know, get coaches for every aspect of their life and executives can negotiate coaches into their contracts when they come on to a new job. But then other people are just kind of like, well, what about me? And how do I get the benefit of coaching? And so there's some cool platforms that are coming up now that make coaching a little bit more widespread, but it is just such a powerful tool for people to move past situations that are holding them back. And everyone, I think, gets something a little different from coaching. Some people, you know, you want them to get everything, but I think certain people are looking for certain things. So, you know, there's not many places in our life that we have an open space for a non-judgmental conversation that we can say whatever's on our mind. And it can be also solution-oriented. So, and, and coaches, all coaches are different, right? So I have, I'm speaking from my own personal experience. So what I'm sharing with you is, is what I believe is how I coach and what the, the benefits of that are, or at least some surface level benefits. So not only can someone share what's on their mind, the negative and the positive, they can get everything out. Um, and you have someone that is not going to judge you for it, that you feel safe having that conversation with, and is going to steer you towards solutions that align with the goals that you want to achieve in your life. Very often, you know, our normal relationships are just people there that you can brain dump on, that you can just speak to, um, or then you have people that are going to try to solve based on the things that they think are best for you. And so you're not going to get the same outcomes from having the space that you would with the coach and the conversation you would with them. Now, the other piece is that coaches tend to know, well, what, you know, how to deconstruct limiting beliefs and how to help people actually pl plan to, you know, plan to have a, a course of action to achieve the things that they want to achieve. Um, and gain commitment from the person that is saying that they want to achieve something. So, you know, a coach works with an individual for them to apply their strengths and what they desire for themselves in a way that actually is, is going to be appealing, that they can actually take action. I'm not there to tell you what to do. I'm not a consultant. I'm there to help you tell yourself what you want to do and help you then commit to it and then achieve it and get out of your own way. I think through deconstructing those limiting beliefs by, you know, taking away the voice from the inner critic and really ensuring that there are no hesitations to you trying to move forward. Actually, I want to stay on that point because I think you hit on something that's very personal to me and, and what I do. And then also just with, with the families that I work with are these, the, this concept or this idea of deconstructing limiting beliefs. Can you dive into that a little bit more? Because I think that's where a lot of people get hung up and don't either they're, they're afraid to take that next step because they're paralyzed by the fear of the unknown or, or whatever it may be. But I, I, I think that's a really big hang up for people. Yeah, we, we don't know what we don't know. And we don't know what's controlling our actions. So we all live in our own little constructs of the world. And your construct is different than my construct. It's built off of our past experiences and the people that we've had around us, amongst a few other you know, influencing factors. So if, uh, one of those constructs, one of those living beliefs is that I can't reach out to other people that I don't know, that I'm stealing time from them, that I'm taking, that why would they want to talk to someone like me? And you know, these, this may seem very like, oh, big deal, but those beliefs uh, will be extremely limiting in someone's career growth because they don't allow them to go reach out and have coffee conversations and build their, build their community. 
And if you if you don't do that, you are missing out on a little where with 60 to 70% of where, where people find their jobs. And so think about that. There's there's a certain people out there that are actually sending you know messages to people they don't know, having conversations that are then helping them develop in their career, while other people who, you know, maybe they're applying to jobs. By the way, the other limiting belief is I don't deserve this job because I read the job description. I don't think I qualify for it. That's a limiting belief. When in actuality, the job description actually isn't indicative of like what you actually qualify for or not. So it's, I had a rule with a client the other day, only read the title of the job <laughs> and that's it. If it interests you, apply to it. Uh, but I know these are kind of like not as, they're not like super deep limiting beliefs, but they can hold you back critically in your life. Yeah, I think it's it's some of the smallest things. I mean, that's a good example of, you know, the 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 job title. You know, what's the company, what's the job title? Not necessarily what the job description says because as most of us know, when you go into a new role, the job description is has has very little to do with what you're actually going to be doing. Um yeah. I, just one one other one which tends to hold people back a lot is I don't want that lifestyle. So maybe you had a parent or maybe you had a friend, maybe you had a leader who had a leadership position and they were always stressed and they never had time for their kids or uh, they just lived a certain life that you didn't want. They always were complaining. So you define all people in that position as having needing to have that lifestyle. So those itself are limiting beliefs that need to be deconstructed because they're holding you back from actually potentially trying to be a leader. So how how long does it take somebody to kind of you know when they 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 walk in your door and and they have these this this construct of what they think life is and these limited limited beliefs what's that process or time frame from going from walking in your door until you know the light bulb moment comes on I guess so normally I work with clients on a 12 session basis. So it's approximately three months. So it's, it's weekly coaching for about 12 sessions. And the last two sessions may be spread out a little bit. Uh, within that time frame, about a month and a half, people tend to really get out of their own way, like really get out of their own way. They get some bigger, like bigger epiphanies. And in, the, in that three month time frame, a person is ready to lead themselves. Now in, in like high, in more... I wouldn't say extreme cases, but where beliefs are a little bit more embedded, where someone is really burnt out, then I'd say that takes a little bit longer. Um, it's very difficult to build on burnout. Um, burnout, and if people don't know, is when the things that actually motivate you, the things that I would be using, that you would be using to help drive your energy and attention and focus, don't motivate you anymore. Can you say that one more time? <laughs> yeah. The, um, so burnout is when the things that you would use basically for motivation, the, the things that we get clarity on in terms of your goals and your values, the things that basically would be your source of fulfillment, those, thing, those things stop motivating you in burnout. Okay. That I never really, ironically, I was just reading an article last night in, New York, in the, the, the New Yorker about burnout. And I'd never really, I'd, I'd never heard it expressed that way before. So that's why I yeah, want well, to make sure scary. I got it down. Yeah, it's scary. So burnout is, you know, you're basically under sustained uh, stress for a prolonged period of time. 
and without reprieve. So emotions are supposed to go up and down. They're supposed to be a roller coaster. You're not supposed to feel good all the time. You're not supposed to feel bad all the time. So burnout is when you feel bad all the time, right? Constantly stressed, constantly overwhelmed, relate in, in relationship to something that maybe used to motivate you or to to a certain area, usually work. You can get burned out in relationships too, by the way, which is why you think your relationship is complete, you know, is lost when in actuality you're just really burnt out. You don't have the ability to put the energy and effort into something. So to move forward from burnout actually takes a lot of patience, a lot of grace, and uh, kind of a detachment from, I need to make progress right now. And actually an acceptance of, I need to care about myself and kind of reset the foundation. And I think that's a really key point because, you know, I've, I've had others on the show this past year and, and it's personally, it's one thing I struggle with is not being giving myself grace or being empathetic with my own, (laughs) with my own uh, life, if you will. And it's, it's a constant challenge because I think, you know, you know, my personality is, you know, classic type A, if you will, where I'm, I'm driven and want to succeed and, and, and help the families I work with. And so when I think about pausing or taking a time out, to me, I think, okay, well, I'm not moving forward anymore. I'm, I'm stopped. And that, that doesn't necessarily feel, feel good, if you will. We often enough don't allow ourselves. So, and I'd say high achievers, right? People that get burnt out, I think. And I, and high achievers, people that care deeply about the work that they're doing. Um, we don't give ourselves enough time to celebrate. We don't give ourselves enough time to get away from the things that we think are important to focus on the things that we've forgotten are important. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to use the word balance. I'm just going to say it, even though I don't want to use it. Uh, because, you know, I, I look at my life and I look, I, kind of use this for clients that we have buckets in our life and burnout comes when we have one bucket that's overflowed right? and all the other, and, and in a negative way, like a, with a high level of stress, life needs to have multiple buckets and those buckets need to be filled and they don't have to be all on the same day, but within a week or within a month, you know, how, how much do you need certain buckets full and people are different. People are different. Uh, but it is, it is true. We are not a one bucket individual. It's, it's funny that, that you bring that up. Cause I remember, so my triplets will be 11 here soon. And I remember reading them this, uh, the story, th- this book growing up, like when they're four or five, whatever is how full is your bucket? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and you're, you're absolutely right. Cause we you know, that word balance comes up on this show all the time. And it's, I think people think of like the seesaw, if you will, like we're always supposed to be in, in this, you know, horizontal, you know, perfectly balanced life. And it's not, especially like with, with parents, it, it's even more um, out of whack, but you know, there's times when you have to put more effort and work into your family. You know, where there's times that you need to put more work and effort in your, um, in your career. And so this concept of always being in balance, I think is a fallacy, if you will, because there are points and times where your family will need you more. And there's times where your work or your business, whatever it may be, you know, will, will need you more. And 
that's where you need to focus. And I think your, your bucket analogy lines up pretty clear to, to what you're, you're pointing out there. I think it's important to note that time is a construct of us. Like we developed time. And the 40-hour work week is also a construct which wasn't supposed to be around. It's not, it's not even that old. Um, it supposedly, I think researchers at the time thought that the 40-hour work week was supposed to consistently decrease over time because before it was it was like 60, 80. And so it's if you think about this, like if you what are your beliefs around the hours of work that you need to actually put in? And where do those come from? Well, they don't come from you, right? They, they come from a, 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 a framework of work that has been perpetuated over time, which is outdated and not, you know, you're not paid unless you're an hourly, you know, an hourly worker. And sometimes most of us are not paid that, that much for uh, the amount of hours that we work. We're paid for our expertise and our skills and what we can create from work. And so if, if the reason why one, you know, your work bucket is uh, off kilter is because you just think that you need to work and work and work and put in hours and maybe we need to reset those expectations. So as we kind of wrap up our conversation, Ben, my, my closing question that I ask all of my guests is what's the best thing about being a parent? And I know you don't have any kids, <laughs> at least at, at this point in time. So let me, dog, does that count? <laughs> Let me uh, let me kind of rephrase that question and and ask, what is the best thing about being a coach? It's the the value that other people can gain. I mean, I think this is a pretty basic answer for anyone in, in the coaching space. My my dissertation research, by the way, uh, was on senior healthcare leaders, and I looked at their values that they held, and pretty consistently across the board, benevolence was the number one value in healthcare. The, and that is really just the care of others, right? That I want to care for others. I'd, I bet you'd find the same with coaches. It's just that I, I care for other people. I care for their development. The reason why I do what I do is because I feel like I wanted to spread the message of personal empowerment and accountability for, your, for all our lives. You know, we are the only one, like there's no one else that is actually responsible for our, our own lives other than ourselves. And because of that, we are the most important leaders in our, in our own life that, that, you're, that you're ever going to meet. You are the most important leader in your life that you're ever going to meet. And so what are you doing for yourself? Are you taking care of yourself? And I think that's, you know, as a coach, that's what's most important for me is making sure that message is loud and clear. Well, Dr. Benjamin Ritter, I think that is a fantastic way to, to wrap up our conversation. I can't thank you enough for being on the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. And uh, I'll definitely be looking forward to many more conversations to come. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. Uh, I feel like I'm emotionally more balanced after this conversation. <laughs> well, that's, that sounds great. We, we've achieved something. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.